0: it does it does quite well with the audio upload and stuff but it always takes a while in the beginning to start so just wait a few seconds do you, do you use riverside i'm still on
1: zoom for now uh and i've mm. i'm trying to oh, nice. switch okay. to vida uh because i want to support yeah. what lyle and and the team are doing and i had a chat with them the other day with luke from consensus network
2: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: oh nice and i see we're recording so you can keep all of this if you want uh, yeah, so, yeah, I had a chat with Luke because Consensus Network approached uh, me to see if I would be happy for them to host the Once Bitten podcast on their show because I wasn't really uploading mm-hmm. video as well as audio. I was just dropping audio mainly. Uh, and that's mm. be- mainly because it's just an extra step of work to to get it on the video channels as well. But mm. Luke from Consensus Network said, we'll do that. I'll I'll stitch it all together. I'll make it look a bit nicer. And we'll just put it under our banner on YouTube. And then the once bits and pod is out there on video as well. And it helps Consensus Network with just constant streaming, consistent um content, because they've also got Knut's podcast on mm. there. So Knut and I are happy That's to right. help drive more audience members to Consensus Network to then learn about their Bitcoin bookshop, uh, because, you know, what they're doing mm. is, is incredible. They're trying to translate as many different books into as many different languages yep. as possible,
2: you know, Bitcoin related. That's one thing that really encourages me with um, Bitcoin is there's so much collaboration going on between certain entities, you know, just everyone sort of clubs together to help each other out. And I find that really encouraging.
0: And you don't really get to see that anywhere else, really.
2: No, you get the complete opposite.
0: Yep. Yep. And Mm. we'll have Luke on in a few days, a few weeks. Few days, yeah. We're less yeah, than a week away. I'm looking, yeah. um, looking forward to it and looking forward to having The Once Bitten on there. And without further ado, because we just started rambling and it was a great intro to <laughs> the episode, uh, welcome to the listeners as well. We have Daniel Prince on today, uh, famous for The Once Bitten podcast. You're an author as well. So it's good to have you here, Daniel. How's your day been so far?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's great. Slow morning. Just had some breakfast, had a cup of coffee sat conspiring with the wife and by conspiring with the wife that means making a shopping list of the stuff we have to go <laughs> and buy after this podcast to uh you know to keep everybody um with full tummies for the next couple of days Bed and watered.
2: <laughs> <laughs> where are you doing your shopping over you, because you're uh, a yeah moment, well we live you? in france so
1: yeah just our local supermarket our local uh Carrefour, so yeah mm have you got them accepting bitcoin yet? <laughs> I have not. Um yeah, the supermarket chains are a tough tough sell. I do I they do are. have yeah. some some nice wins under my belt actually. Uh the the restaurant, oh, our favorite restaurant in the area uh is um it's one of those special restaurants that you'd go to uh, sparingly, let's say. Um, because yeah, you know, it can be, it could be classed as expensive, but when you look at the value for what you're getting, like you're eating food that you would never ever have a chance of ever recreating yourself uh, from a very, right. very professional chef who opens up a restaurant here for about five months, and we've got to know them over the last three years, and I've been badgering him, uh, and this year he finally finally accepted to um, be paid in Bitcoin. So I've paid him in Bitcoin three times uh, for uh, for our meals. And um, my daughter is oh, now wow. working there. And nice. he even asked her the other day, yeah, <laughs> he even asked her the other day, hang on, can I pay you in Bitcoin? And she said, well, yeah, I suppose so, if you want to. So now he's already made that step in his own mind. Like, hang on a second. So, if I pay you in Bitcoin, then I could potentially just take you off the employee roster. And then I don't have to pay Mm. this extra 30% of your salary to a government that is, you know, (laughs) actively trying to close down my business 24 Mm -hmm. seven with added regulations and, you know, whatever else. So, yeah, that's the rabbit hole. He's starting to fall down. And I love nice seeing, you know, you you've you've had like six or seven touch points with a person, then all mm-hmm. of a sudden that one touch point resonates with them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the skill yeah. of orange pilling. It's like, where's the pain point? It's like any kind of sales. It's like, you know, where's mm-hmm. the pain point? How can I fix that problem um, as quickly and as efficiently and as effectively as I can for that person? So when but it mm. is still so difficult because Bitcoin is so broad. Um, and it's nice to see it all happen organically yeah, when yes, people man. start churning that through their minds and like, bam, okay, now I get it. Why didn't you fucking tell me this in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I think we all go for those moments. Why didn't I fucking discover this sooner yeah. than I did? And uh, it's great um, that you've done that and that your daughter's working there and everything. And um, I, I, I've got into the habit now of any shop I go into, I say to the cashier whatever, the person behind the counter, oh, do you accept Bitcoin yet? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they go, yet? And I'm like, yeah, um, there's some other shops that are doing it. You know, you need to get on this train. I think more and more people that do that, you know, just start asking if they accept Bitcoin. That's when they can start to sort of like build that relationship over time and they repeat business and stuff. So yeah, it's very What's happening
1: here on the mainland, I don't know if it's happening in the UK, there's a bit of, uh, you know, I kind of see the uh i give it a side eye let's put it that way qr Mm. codes are now appearing on every single receipt and yeah why like what is the purpose of that Uh, you know i i believe it's um, a way to get people just completely numbed to the idea of there's a QR code on everything. And at the moment, I think all you can do is like flash it and it might show you the receipt and you can store the receipt in your phone. I don't know. I've not really looked into it. Um, but I think mm. this is a precursor to getting everybody numbed out to the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm just going to end up paying with a CBDC via my phone with a QR code that's been printed on a receipt. I'm used to seeing that. I'm not afraid of it anymore. That's probably the psyop that's going on there. But I use it as a Trojan horse mm. because when they give me the um, the receipt, I flash it. I open up a Bitcoin wallet and I flash it, and I say, "Oh, it's not working." And they're like, what, "What? What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I'm trying to ah. pay with Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin QR code." And they, "What? What right. do you mean?" I said, "Well, this I like this little QR code here means I can pay in Bitcoin. Have you checked with the manager?" And they're like, Oof, "No." So then the manager has to come over and talk to me about it. And explains to me, oh, no, it's just a QR code. They're on all the receipts and stuff now. But touch point. And someone's right. standing in front of him, confused and trying to pay with Bitcoin. Uh, so, yeah, it's, we, we, whatever it takes, right? <laughs> just keep those touch points coming.
2: Yeah. And, and like you said, Bitcoin is so broad. And uh, I'm a big believer that you need to meet people where they're at. Um, Because, you know all roads lead to Bitcoin. And if you are the person trying to do the orange pilling and you choose the topic that doesn't sit right with somebody, then it's going to go wrong. Right? So yes, I'm a big believer of meeting people where they're at and where they're hurting them the most and, and sort of sitting in that discomfort with them and revealing how I feel that Bitcoin Mm could be the answer to that. Anyway, we, we digress. Um, we usually go straight into our podcasts by asking you how you discovered Bitcoin and why you stayed and what is it you're doing now. So maybe we can just um, go a little bit down Mm -hmm. your rabbit hole and see where we end up. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Sorry to anyone that's heard this before, but for the listeners that uh, are not aware, uh, I started my career in the foreign exchange markets uh, at the age of 19. I went from the uh, the home county of Essex in the UK and took the train up every single day. I was on the 529 AM out of Rayleigh Station to get to uh, my desk by 6.15 and run um, errands for 16 crazed foreign exchange dollar mark brokers uh, in 1995 uh, in London. So I'd be parking their cars, I'd be dry cleaning their suits, I'd be cleaning their shoes, I'd be getting their sandwiches, getting their breakfasts, getting their snacks, getting their lunches, getting money out of the bank for them, getting their watches fixed, whatever they needed doing, whatever mundane task needed doing, that's what I had to do. And I was doing that from like 19, 20, 21. Uh, And then um, by 1999, I had the opportunity to move out to Singapore and uh, further my career out there, which I took with open arms. Um, uh, my, my then girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife, um, Claire came with me and we spent 15 years out there and had our four kids out there. And that's where, um, you know, the bulk of our adult life was spent. Uh, and always pretty much always, um, in foreign exchange. Um, Hmm. The irony, you know, I was, uh, sat at the very front seat. I mean, you know, yeah, the the Cantillon effect couldn't have been any closer to me. I was at the spigot of money. I was drinking from the fire hose uh, without even knowing really what a fiat currency was. But that's what I was doing all day. I was brokering foreign exchange options deals uh, between the world's biggest banks every single day, some days in the billions of dollars. And having no thought of where that money was even coming from, I I honestly believed that these banks were... um, Hedging risk, were um, executing business on behalf of their you know huge conglomerate um, customers such as uh, oil companies, aviation companies, uh, car manufacturing companies that had foreign uh, exchange exposure in all of these different world uh, countries in which they operated around the world. Um, yeah, zoom out now and you, you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah, they were just dealing basically and freshly printed counterfeited money that was pumped into the system by either the Bank of Japan or the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve. And this whole machine was just um, a game of smoke and mirrors. And I was making money, rent seeking, making money, brokering these deals and then taking commission. Uh, So that was a very sobering thought when I started learning about Bitcoin, because I exited that life in 2014. I had come to the end of my career. I just couldn't do it anymore. I, the fire was gone from my belly. had four kids at home. I was a lodger in my own house. Saw them at the weekends if I was lucky. Um, invariably in bed by the time I even got home from work. And I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And I was like, man, I am living a deferred lifestyle here. <laughs> and this is, this is not a good way to be using my time. Um and and seeing my family well not seeing my family grow up under my nose that was the that was the the sucker punch so we made the brave decision to quit and start traveling with the kids and we took the kids out of school um they were 8 6 and 2 3 year old twins at that point in life and we started home swapping our way around the world and um we thought we'd go for maybe 6 months 9 months we ended up doing two and a half years constant travel, a mix of home swapping and house sitting. And that was what unlocked um, the the, the reason we could go for so long is because we'd driven our cost of accommodation to effectively zero. Uh, We were using uh, a house that I'd bought 18 years ago in Koh Samui in Thailand as a little investment property. And we just put that on the home exchange website and we still home exchange to this day. In fact, my wife and I are doing one in 10 days time. Kids are off to a summer camp. They're going to go like climbing and camping and doing all that kind of crazy stuff for a week. And my wife and I are going to stay in a, in a home swap in Lyon, uh, for five days. So it's still working for us. And I I never thought that, um, you'd ever be able to leverage a property in such a way, but that's what we Mm. did. And, uh, it was during these travels that I started falling down both the unschooling rabbit hole, you know, separating education from state and separating money from state rabbit hole. And I accredit this to the fact that for the first time in our lives, we were truly free. We were free and I owned my time. And I'd never experienced that. And fuck, that's addictive. Like, you know, <laughs> that is just incredible. We we were perpetual tourists wherever we were going. You know, unless you're out staying a visa, nobody really cares that you're there or not. Um, no one was chasing after us with a curriculum in air quotes for the kids to follow because we'd exited Singapore. They were just like, oh, well, whatever. Just another expat family that's been and gone. See you later. We don't care. We weren't residents. We weren't citizens. Um, So they weren't after us. Oh, wow. Like, we own our time. Um, What are we going to do with that? And so teaching the kids and learning alongside them because we were doing a world schooling, unschooling type thing where we would use the natural environment around us to leverage learning opportunities and whether you're going to a national park or you're going on a hike and looking at nature or in a city exploring museums you know it's all there like everything is there for you to start learning from and take something from one of those experiences and then get home and get onto youtube and go a little bit deeper and ah right we've just been in x y and z city and we were just learning about that let's go home and so where's the history of all of this come from so that's how we were doing our education. And of course, I had a, a need to protect the wealth which I had managed to accrue and save over an 18-year lifespan or and, and career. Um and that's when I really started delving into, huh. I knew already stocks and shares, I knew foreign exchange, and I knew. Bonds and I knew, you know, diversify and all of this kind of other mumbo jumbo mainstream uh, financial advice stuff. Um, uh, But I didn't know anything about Bitcoin and I poo-pooed it many times. Um, And I have to credit Real Vision here because they launched about 2014, I think, just as we were leaving Singapore. And I knew Grant Williams, the co-founder, the original co-founder. The co-founders were Raul Powell and Grant Williams, and Grant was a friend. And so I supported and I bought a subscription and I started watching the videos. I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, wow, an hour and a half long video when I was used to a minute and a half, you know, tiny segment of listening to this guy. But now you could actually watch people like Mark Hart and Kyle Bass for an hour and a half. This is adding a lot of value to me. And then I asked Grant, if they were ever going to do any Bitcoin interviews. And he said, yeah, look out for one coming up soon. And that was Wences Césares. And then they had on Turdemista. And then they had on Trace Meyer. And these guys kept coming back and I would be watching these interviews. This is, again, why didn't I look further into this before? Because the way they were explaining it and over an hour and an hour and a half interview, just got me hooked, got me addicted, and I had to find more. And that's when I found Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, yeah, I guess the rest is history because as you guys know, uh, as soon as you peer into that rabbit hole and as soon as you start buying your first Bitcoin, I was talking to Eric Kaysen about this the other day and we both realized at some point, at one one particular day in your life, you have not stopped thinking about Bitcoin 24-7 since that specific time. <laughs> and that's what we all suffer. And that's what you guys feel as well. So, yeah, happy to, you know, go off on any tangents there that you you feel you want to dive into deeper and um, take it wherever you want.
2: I think um, that's an amazing story. And the discovery of the value of your time is something that I discovered after I discovered Bitcoin um, and what I'm working hard towards now is making best use of my time. Where can I put the most energy in the, and, and and get the most out of that um, when, when I'm, you know, trying to, when I go to work every day, like I, my, your, your story resonates with me with your whole foreign exchange thing. Um, my previous career, I used to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I was home by, um, 7 p.m. in the evening because I was traveling a long distance on the train to get to and from work and that's no way to live as an existence mm-hmm. um, and once I left that career and found ways to simplify my life um, and to work less that just opens up more opportunities for you to grow as an individual and to learn more as well and it ties in with the whole education stuff because obviously that simplified my life and allowing myself that time mm-hmm. Um, I was able through that to discover Bitcoin and invest the time in to try to understand it and to invest and do this podcast. Um, Because that wouldn't have been um, available to me had I just stayed on that Mm. treadmill and worked my um, adult life into exhaustion and then retired on some pension that probably wouldn't exist. So that does resonate quite strongly with me and with the whole educational side of things as well. Um, I find it quite interesting that you actually said you are learning from each other, your children and you are learning together. And I think that's quite um, an important distinction to highlight really is because you're not only homeschooling your children, you're educating yourself through your children as well and Mm -hmm. vice versa. Um, So Joel, I don't know if you've got a question attached to what I just said. Yeah. I'll let
0: you ramble as usual. Um, (laughs) Ian is always, Ian is always the more thoughtful one and I kind of go into question by question. Um, I have two things. So, firstly, a very important message, what you said, separating money from state. That's what I would say most Bitcoiners are in. But then they leave out all of those details. You're still attached to maybe a corrupt government. I mean, essentially all governments are kind of corrupted. Um, or you get your cool school, uh, kids to school, which then grow up in this horrible environment. And not just... Um, you know, educationally speaking, but the whole mindset that kids are taught there, like you have to invest the hours, you have to give it all. Yeah, you get into this horrible mindset, people press you into getting to work at five, getting back at 11. What was the moment for you when you went down the separating education from state rabbit hole?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, So uh, I guess it was destined to happen the minute I realized i couldn't work another minute in my um day job uh and i remember that vividly it must have been i would have been like third or fourth of january i suppose 2012 13 where i remember walking in after the christmas break um which is never a break right because it's just hectic and you get back to your desk, and I remember bending down underneath my desk to turn my computer on, and I can hear like my boss talking to one of my colleagues, and I was just like, I can't do this for another 10 to 20 years. This is just hell. And I vowed, as soon as I pressed my button, I'm like, I vowed that I'd be getting myself out. And um then uh that set my um the, the snowball rolling i suppose into um into exiting the career and then because we'd done that we decided to travel we we had no option other than to you know self-educate um homeschool is kind of like the the wrong word here and anybody in that movement would agree uh because that what most people think of is just mom and dad's getting a um Sit Sitting the kids down, getting a chalkboard at the front of the kitchen table and like, right, okay, children, today we're going to learn about X, Y, and Z, and you deliver a lesson and you deliver a curriculum. Absolute nonsense. This does not happen. None, ever. Nobody homeschools, in air quotes, that way. Uh, those people that do not send their children to school and opt to uh, self-educate. Are doing all kinds of different things. There's no one way. There's no right way. It's whatever works for you and your family, and that's going to change a hundred times throughout the year, because you because you have that time, and you have the ability to follow those natural instincts. Then you just you follow the child, and that's what self-directed education is all about. And you know Peter Gray is probably one of the uh, uh, the people who most inspired um, us uh, with his book, Free to Learn. And uh, Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk, Do Schools Kill Creativity? Still the most downloaded TED Talk of all time. Um, And you start watching these guys, and I was lucky enough to interview both of them, so personally interviewing them, Uh, and getting an insight into their minds and reading their books. So Ken wrote Finding Your Element and um, uh, Your Child in School, I think is another book he wrote. Uh, And it starts blowing your mind and then you fall down. So what I noticed was how much they were interested in learning about something once that thing had piqued their interest. But you can't turn that off. School does. School turns it off instantly because you don't have a choice. It's not your choice to be in that French lesson on a Wednesday afternoon between 3 and 4.15, right? You have no choice. You're there by force and compulsion and you have no choice over your teacher. That's assigned to you. You have no choice over the other 29 people in your class that's assigned to you you have no choice over your learning material that's assigned to you it's a disaster there's no learning going on in that in that room absolutely not there's teaching but that's different learning and teaching are completely different two two completely different things um and unfortunately for the teacher they're not teaching in the style in which they would like to teach because that's assigned to them They're not teaching the material that they want to teach because that's assigned to them. It's it's a cesspit. That state schooling system is an absolute cesspit. And people say it's broken, but the thing is, like the darkest thing here is it's not broken at all. It's working perfectly as it was designed to work. And when you come to that realization and you come to the realization that, yes, Sir Ken, schools do kill creativity. They're designed to. They're designed to crush that burning light inside of you. They're, they're, they are designed to make sure no entrepreneurship ever leaves that place because mm-hmm. they want you to be modeled into a certain way and march to um, the beat of somebody else's drum, i.e. the timetable. You know mm-hmm. the, the fact that you're assigned a timetable by the age of five, guys, I mean, come on. These places are gulags, a complete mm-hmm. gulags. And they are designed to to crush that learning and entrepreneurial spirit. You know, entrepreneurship is a default emotion. It's our default state as human beings, as homo sapiens, that is default. That's what we do. We see problems, we fix them. And we get inspired by fixing those problems and we share how we did that with others. And if we're lucky, we can add value to others. And if we're really lucky... Mm. Then we can be rewarded by others for providing that good or service. Then somebody else is going to see that and iterate on that and make it either better, faster, stronger, more efficient. And they're going to get paid more than you. And then you yep. will move on to something else. And like that's how it should be working. And John Taylor Gatto, he summed this up perfectly with a killer quote: Your grade is a reflection of how manageable you are. Yep. Bam. Bam. Because if you that's
2: an interesting yeah, thought. because
1: yeah. if you're a hiring manager in air quotes, all you need is somebody that you know is going to follow follow orders and, um, and execute and get things done. Mm. If, so if you walk out with an, like a string of A's, then you're clearly very good at following orders and getting things done. They don't, I mean, so that's all they're looking for. It's a reflection of how manageable you are. So as soon as you walk in, you're hired because I know Mm. I can tell you to do shit. But that company will never grow because there's no people there that are willing to put their life on the line, to think outside the box, to go in and say, hey, if we did this differently, because they're not used to doing that, they've been conditioned Mm. to just do the things and Look at society today. Look at what mm, we have, mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and look at how our um, businesses are, are structured. You know, you, you have a few unicorns in air quotes that mm. have, um, you know, the, the the fangs. You know, perfect examples who get shone as like these these incredible human beings, and look how talented they are. And it's only them that could have ever have made these companies. It's just all nonsense,
0: all of mm. it. It really fucks with your brain if you are in school, because I can remember when when I was in upper high school, um, my jump. Germ- so I went to school in Switzerland, the regular route. Uh, luckily, I was a good golfer, so I got sports co- uh, sponsorships and stuff and got into better schools thanks to it. But I remember my German and English teacher, they both were like, you're never going to make a career w- w- with writing. You should stick to something like math or, or the sciences because it's probably more up your alley. And It got me so frustrated that I essentially became a journalist because I did not want to, um, you know, uh, let them win in the end of the day. And still to this day, even though I've got the experience now in the field working for... God knows, 10 years now in it. You still get to these moments throughout the day where you kind of go, fuck, that's maybe not a grammatical error. And like, oh yeah, Mrs. Um, Castillote was her name in my English class. Um, She was right. Like I always forget the fucking commas there. But like these days you have stuff like Grammarly, right? So no one gives a shit if it's right or wrong. Just the end product that matters. And I think if you think about all of those little Pieces that get put into your brain, how long into the future it affects you. I think that's the mm. real, in my opinion, that's the real plan behind schools, because that's where that's where they sort of plant their seeds. Of a, hey, we need more people working for government jobs. There we go for the next twenty years. Or we need more people in finance. There we go for the next twenty years. Um, mm-hmm. And it's ironic if you compare this through a Bitcoin lens. It's the total opposite, right? If you go into the Bitcoin landscape.
1: So I I have an interview with um, Naomi Fisher on my podcast. I can't remember the episode number, but if you just Google "once bitten Naomi Fisher," she wrote a book called "Changing Our Minds," and she's just released another book actually. Uh, it's in the other room, which I'm I'm delving into. And she's a, a clinical child psychologist and unschools her her own kids. But did the whole schooling thing, went through the private schools um, all over the world, traveled here, there and everywhere, wore the uniforms, all of that stuff. I mean, it doesn't get more communist really, does it? But there you go, especially in the UK. Like, uh, don't get me started on that one. That's a tangent. But we we got talking about that exact point, Joel, that um, we've all been through this system and we all carry bags of trauma throughout the rest of our lives from that 12 to 15 year sentence and no wonder no wonder like the, the, the programming and the shaming is so deep you being shamed by mrs xyz in front of 29 other kids because you forgot to put a comma is going to stay with you me being shamed in a math class because i got some fractions wrong stays with me thank you mr handley you know that stays with me for the rest of my life uh, Ian, I'm sure you have uh, many other um, examples. We all do. That is trauma that we are still carrying into our adult life. And what Naomi can't figure out is why then do we subject the the people we love the most, our children, to the same shit? Why would we do that? If, if you had spent yeah. five years and an unfair prison sentence, would you wish that on anyone, let alone your children? Like, you would you'd absolutely not, right? But yet somehow we've been completely tricked into believing that, well, once little Johnny is three... They've got to go into pre-kindy, and then by four they've got to be in kindy. Then by five they've got to be in full primary school with a full timetable, and then you know we're 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 good to go. We're on, and then they're into primary school, and then eleven they go to big boy school, and you know they'll be fine. They'll be set by then, and then by eighteen they'll be they'll have set all their GCSEs, and then they'll have done their A levels, and then it will be on to university, and then by twenty-two they'll be good to go. They can just walk out of those doors, breathe a sigh of relief and go straight into a nice job and get their 2.4 children in a white picket fence. Like, this is fucking mental. Like, this is absolute. But that's the way 99% of us think. And it's because of this one weapon, the state wield over us, the education system. Mm. It's their biggest tool. Like, we think the money printer is their biggest tool? No, man. Like, they take our kids from us at three. They destroy the family link they make the kids their own they're saying the quiet parts out loud now they've even said biden recently said we have to remember the children are children of the state like they there's so they're, they're so far gone they're so far gone
2: and yeah. like it's 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 basically um an institution for compliance yep. um like if you're late you get a detention if if you uh disagree or disruptive by sort of asking questions that you're not allowed to you're given a Mm -hmm. detention so the sanctions are tied in and the rewards of getting good grades will mean that you get extra football time out on the school Mm -hmm. playground for 20 minutes or something like that it's like it sounds very similar to the, the the business model of prisons and um it's almost like when you, as you, uh, when you were a child and you went through the educational system, um, they're almost at the same time breeding um, something into you uh, whereby it signals that education is important. Going to school is essential. So when you have kids, you're just repeating that, that whole trauma process again and again on behalf of the state. Um, so not only is the state enforcing education, the parents are... Being pawned into forcing that upon their children as well. And it's quite sickening to think about, really, and how it actually operates at a deeper level. But, Ian,
1: education is, you know, free public education is a human right. You know, think of the poor children in Africa, like you disgusting. Right. You know, you see the memes they have. Yeah. You see what they do. They shame you immediately. You're cancelled for questioning their system. Yeah. Instantly. Instantly, you are a thoughtless horrible individual
2: Mm. 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 yeah it's politicized as well you know it determines where you sit on the specs as well just by speaking out about something you don't agree with Mm -hmm. which i think is a weapon um, that the state uses as well and um but the, the problem I, I see is, yes, it would be actually fantastic if people can actually get their schools out of these institutions, learn with them. Um, you've got the information age now. Everything's available online. Uh, people can self-learn. And I know that Angelo, one of our previous guests, Angelo Summers, he mm-hmm. left school when he was 14 and he wrote like a uh, an essay uh, to convince his, his parents and the school to, to let himself educate himself and he, he did that and he took that step and it's quite a fascinating story listening to him but parents have to go to work right they have to do their nine to five or their 12 hours shift or whatever um, and in that time their, their kids are in school and they have to go to work to earn the money so how mm-hmm. can they stay at home and educate their kids it's kind of a bind that they've got us in and, yep. and how can we step out of that exactly it's um that's all part of the trick
1: And, you know, UK is probably a great example because many people are probably living in a house that they're completely um, really, what's the best way to describe this? What's it called? It's the sphere of influence, right, in in Mm. the UK around a school. So there's a school which you find desirable and you want little Johnny to go to that school at all costs. But to go to that school, you have to move into that school's sphere of influence, which they change every now and then, by the way, just to keep you guessing. So to get in that site, inside that school of influ- that sphere of influence, you have to buy a house. And of course, that house is priced because of that sphere of influence boundary. So most people are taking out that they're, they're working overtime. They're, they're bo- both parents are working just to be in that sphere of influence, just so they can send little Johnny to that fucking gulag. You know, like, and put them through this hell for the next twelve years, which they think they're doing a good job. I'm being a good parent. This is on me. I've got to work this time. I've got to work these hours so we can live in this nice house and have this nice shelter. You're doing all the right things, right? And then I've done this as a um, as a way to get uh, them the best education that they could uh, that I could afford to give them. Yay for me, top parent, right? But you've been gaslit the whole way. And you've got to work harder and harder to keep in that house, to stay on that hamster wheel, especially if you're on a variable rate mortgage and now they're just randomly putting interest rates up whenever they want. And they've devalued the um, the power of your pound because they've just printed God knows how many hundreds of billions of pounds into the economy. So, And then they might just shrink that sphere of influence for whatever reason. And the house that you did buy is now going to crash in value. Like Mm -hmm. This is a game you cannot win. Uh, So when people think about, well, I can see my child is desperately unhappy. I can see they're depressed. I can see they're anxious. I can see they're withdrawn. I have zero connection with them. I don't see them in the evening because I get home and I've got to do my emails or they're at home and they're just in their bedroom talking to their friends or doing, worse, or doing their homework, which Good is work, just yeah. another psyop, right? So a complete destruction of the family. Even though you thought you'd done all the right things, you don't get the respect that you feel you deserve from your children because of everything that you've given up, your time, your life, and you know the effort that you put in at work to make sure they've got a nice roof over their head and live close to the school and go to a nice school – that school, by the way, is forcing that child to dress in a certain way, a way they hate, and it's not their choice. But, you know, it's it's so bad. So if somebody gets to that point and realizes, hmm, maybe a homeschooling or an unschooling or just taking a knee, dropping a knee, getting out of the um, education system, what would that look like? Well, if I if I do want to do that, then, you know, a way to test it would be for a few months. Just see what happens. Does the child feel happier? Are they less depressed? Are they less anxious? If that is the the case, just get out of town. You you don't have to live in that particular house or put it up for rent. You know, let somebody else pay the mortgage and you can move way further afield into um into like the, the countryside, drive down the cost of your life, probably still work remotely. You know, there's it's just thinking a slightly little bit differently other than I need to smash this hamster wheel for the next five years, get them through school, get them through university. Then everything's going to be good because it ain't, it's just going to compound and get worse and worse yeah. and worse.
2: Yeah. Cause I guess it's kind come out of that educational um, institution traumatized and probably worse ingrained in the system, uh, embedded in, in the system too much for you to sort of really drag them out of it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a quite difficult bind. Um, and that's given me some food for thought because my stepdaughter, she goes to school every day and she fucking finds it miserable. She comes home mm-hmm. and complains, she has to do homework. And it's awful seeing her having to sort of talk about lessons that she hates, teachers that are actually quite narcissistic mm-hmm. and mean um, and gaslighting and telling her which direction to go in. It's it's an awful sight to see. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's definitely given me some food for thought, Daniel.
1: Do did they, did, does,
2: does that school force kids to wear uniforms or is it? Um, yeah, it's a uniform right. school. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think and they pretty much all are in the UK. I, I think most of them are. And I think it's quite a traditional thing to be in uniform in school in this country. Um, it's not often you see schools that don't have any uniform.
0: I, I read recently like 2% or 3% of the whole schools in the UK are uniform. So you don't have to wear a uniform. Um, and ironically most of them are super expensive private schools so you know there you go either Mm. you comply (laughs) through the system they offer you or you go through the still system but you pay a shit ton of money for it keeping you in the hamsters wheel. so that word
1: i mean it's it's right there hiding in plain sight right uniform like one Mm -hmm. form horrible that's all they want they want you to look the same they force you so you have zero choice it's there's no more communist institution than a school. You have no voice. You have no choice. You are compelled to be there from these hours. And you're let out for good behavior, summer holiday. Mm. And then you go back. It, you know, it's 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 a disaster. And this is what we're using to shape society. Yep.
2: Is this one of the motivations for your book, um, Choose Life? Is that one of the reasons why you chose to write? that
1: book yeah yeah definitely um because uh you know having having tasted the freedom and having seen what it did for us what it how it changed me personally how it changed my wife how how we saw that affect our kids um yeah i i yeah i know about a hundred people said to me, You gotta write a book about it, you gotta write a book. I'm like, nah, we got the blog, that's fine, people can find all the information. But uh yeah, what one friend finally said to me, he's like, Come on, man, just write the fucking book. Like you could change someone's life. If, if it doesn't matter how many people read it, if you if you write this book and that changes someone's life and that family, I mean, job done, right? I'm like, oh man. Now I gotta write the fucking book done. <laughs> So that's what I did. No pressure. Uh, <laughs> Uh yeah. Um so I started and as soon as I started, uh I couldn't stop, you know. All of this stuff was inside of me um that I just needed to get out, I suppose. And uh yeah, it that took the form of a book and I had an editor, I found an editor and she helped me put it all together. She had actually written her own book about world schooling and had interviewed me for um one of the chapters. So she was a professional editor and you know, she she was the perfect, perfect choice. So she put it all all together and then mm. um, it was about to go to print and she had, uh, my wife was reading through it and um, she's like, well, I don't remember it that way. Okay, <laughs> write down how you remember it and then I can, you know, jig it around. And so I sent across the paragraph to, uh, two or three paragraphs of Claire's thoughts to um, my editor and she come back and said, she should do this at the end of every chapter. (laughs) This is an amazing idea. So that's, uh, yeah, it's funny that the, um, the best feedback I get about my book is my wife's paragraph or two at the end of each chapter. And the best feedback I get about my podcast is, um, my daughter's question at the beginning of of each episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, your daughter, Lauren, she's doing some fantastic work with, with the podcast. And, um, how is that being the dad and witnessing her growth within the bitcoin ecosystem how how is How is that for you?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, it's so amazing um and you you have no idea what's rubbing off on them, and this is the beauty of this style of education uh and believe me, it's not a bed of roses. you know you're beating yourself up all of the time. And sometimes you just want to hit the panic button, and right, okay, just just get them back in school because you know I'm failing them, and you know all of this self doubt creeps in. I, I I want to make that perfectly clear for people. It's not an easy decision to make. In fact, you know it's um, <laughs> most people are going to tell you you're an irresponsible parent if you take your children out of school, whereas the opposite is true because you now have ultimate responsibility you are being self-sovereign with your child's education it's down to you it's all on you you know you're not putting them on the big yellow bus and waving them goodbye that's irresponsible parenting that's just saying all right yeah have a nice day at school wonder what they're going to learn about because you have no clue right? there, there's no responsibility there you've completely outsourced the responsibility to the state and um whatever agenda that they want to push through that system um via the um the the, the poor teachers that that get caught in the middle um so uh, you know being responsible for that um puts a lot of pressure on you self pressure and societal pressure and familial pressure too because Nannies and granddads, aunties and uncles are all very worried and they want the best for their children. And in ma- their mind's eye is, of course, they should just be in school and da, 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 da. because they've all gone through the same traumatic experience and been programmed as, as hard as anybody else, perhaps even harder. Uh, so when you, when you see the difference, when you, when you realize, when you hear some of the things that are coming out of their mouth and you're like, Bam. That's the light bulb moment. You're like, okay, we're doing a good job. And when I hear any of my uh, kids converse with, even my wife now, converse with anybody else about Bitcoin, they're just nailing it. Bam, 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 bam. They haven't read the books. You know, I've read thousands of these books. (laughs) Like Not not thousands, but thousands of hours, you know, done the thousands of hours. Um, They've not watched the YouTube podcasts. They've not read any articles, so whatever they're espousing mm-hmm. is coming from a different method of learning. And whether that's listening to me at the dinner table, which it invariably doesn't happen, or that's listening to me have conversations with other people, or Lauren, she's interviewed over three hundred people mm-hmm. on the on the podcast. You know, the first question, and everybody is so gracious with their time. Mm. And try to explain her in a way, explain it to her in a way that a nine to twelve year old um should understand or could understand. And you never know how someone's brain is going to process the information that they've just been subjected to. Mm. And you never know when that's going to start clicking, and you never know when that is going to be uh triggered, that knowledge is going to be triggered in a conversation out at a random mm. we were a random party gathering on Saturday night. And uh Sophia, uh, my 15-year-old daughter, who's only ever asked a few questions on the podcast, um, comes across to me with uh a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old boy, uh, and says, Daddy, these guys want to talk to you because I heard them, I overheard them talking about Bitcoin, and I said, Oh, you should ask my dad some questions. So we spent the next hour talking about Bitcoin. But nice. Lauren and Sophia were interjecting with all that. I, I just kind of like steered the conversation, you know, a little bit of questioning here, there. And and they were like, oh yeah, but no, what you should do is something called dollar cost averaging or <laughs> yeah. euro cost averaging because that's when you just buy, you know, you use your pocket money just a little bit, maybe like 10 euros a week and you just do it slowly. They're saying this to other kids and I didn't sit them down with a textbook mm. and teach them that, you know, I didn't need to. They've been learning the whole time. That's how learning happens and uh you know it it shows itself in the most meaningful manner, like that, to me was amazing. Here we are standing at a you know friend's party, and four teenagers and teenagers mm-hmm. are talking about bitcoin <laughs> properly amazing, you know
2: that must have been amazing to see, yeah, I do worry about children um actually um in this day and age. Because, and it ties into the whole educational uh, discussion we've been having, you know, they're spending many hours in the day at school, they come home, they have to do homework, Um, Mm they go into school wearing uniform, being compliant, and all they want to do is actually switch off because they're exhausted, so the natural thing they do is just go on social media and flick through the likes of tiktok and instagram and things like that just to sort of like detach themselves somewhat from the world and i do see some worrying things on on social media and i think we discussed it before we started recording daniel there's this mm-hmm. npc trend that is going on at the moment where these young um adolescents are behaving as if they're like a video game character on a live stream and people are tipping them um to do certain actions and moves on the screen and stuff like that. It's quite unsettling to see that people are recording themselves live for the world to see with thousands of people viewing at any one given time and throwing money at them to do certain moves. And it's, it, it's just sucking us into this kind of um, vacuum uh, where we don't educate ourselves beyond what we're being taught at school. And I just wonder if you've got any thoughts about that, Daniel
1: yeah you did you did say something about this beforehand um i've not seen it yet thankfully what what kind of what kind of things are they doing like what 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 are the actions that
0: it's the most mundane thing they're really sitting so they've got their phones propped up um are live streaming and they've got stuff like i don't know you've got an emoji here eat cake and then people gonna pay them to eat cake and they eat cake uh I don't know, be a dog, say something funny. The most mundane shit. And all the reasons they're doing it is to get the likes, get these like tips payments on TikTok or whatever it is, and then essentially start another live stream, keep doing it over and over again. Um and what really frustrates me is like instead of actually sitting down, maybe listening to a podcast, maybe learning why certain things you look at are different, don't work. They do this over and over and over again. And then you get into the whole, the feeds are pushing it, you get recommendations and all of that stuff. Um, So you can't even describe it. It's just the most normal stuff and they get paid for shit uh, instead of actually doing proper value for value and uh, contributing this way.
1: So they're earning... Dollars or I think TikTok so. got some kind of tick token or something? Yeah, it you was, essentially,
2: um, you can use your Great British Pounds to load up onto this virtual wallet um, on TikTok that enables you to join a live stream, tip people, um, and whatever you tip um, qualifies a different either food emoji or you know it it generates um, a hat on their head while they're on live stream and they thank you for giving them their tip and stuff like that and people are just doing the most weird and bizarre stuff in order to be unique enough to get these people to tune into their live stream and and basically give them tips doing this weird and wonderful stuff online and obviously when kids are scrolling through that they're they're being sub not, i'm i'm using the word subjected and maybe that's quite um telling us to my language and what i feel about it but it's it's a weird kind of um way for people to generate money um uh, by being these weird and wonderful characters on on online it's desperation isn't yep. it um yeah yeah it's
1: desperation and, and escapism like you were talking mm. about like people are just so depressed mm. anxious Looking for some kind of escape, and for the people sending. So yeah, you know, I I think we were talking before, like you know, Bitcoin. How would Bitcoin fix this? And I think that just comes down to the incentive structure and like the um, the value you place over that money, right? People don't value the sterling. People don't value dollars. That's why you're going to stream fifty p or one. Well, you're not even streaming, right? You're sending um, fifty p or a pound or two pounds so that somebody at the other end of the TikTok is going to do something, you know, immediately in what you think is immediately, but probably in a, uh, you know, a minute or two. Um, eating cake or like, where does this even lead? This leads to some very, very dark places like, you know, take your top off yep. and all of this kind of stuff.
0: It it leads to um, what I've seen when I went to journalism school, we had, I think six or seven lessons in a the week, they called it digital media and sort of how, I don't know, one lesson was about Reddit. I, I sat there thinking, like, I don't know how to fucking use Reddit. Like, you don't need to tell me. But, you know, all of the structures that come with it and I can see a future where you have that exact behavior because, 99% out there just want to be entertained because they're miserable with their lives. So these people being propped up as influencers come up and they're actually being used in the educational system to say, hey, if you want to use this kind of content, drive these kind of incentive structures, just do that. And that's what really scares me because this has nothing to do with like our um, monetary world. This has nothing to do with politics, whatever. This is simply just being entertained and it's used as something good, in quotation marks, to show people how you can m- make money outside of the very hard and miserable life you're already living. So uh, I think that's where it's sort of heading. And obviously, all of these social platforms, they're not helping by um, by just recommending this 24-7, right? So th- that's, in my mind, is like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. That could be one of those you know backdoor attacks that, um, for some reason, you see popping up everywhere, whether it be on social, uh, in society. Um, or in some cases mm-hmm. even even into Bitcoin spaces, like, like you get these weird faults coming in.
1: Yeah, well I I'm imagining in the next month or two we're gonna hear about the first um, TikTok MPC millionaire, um, which is going to spur another round of young boys and girls that right, okay, I'm gonna emulate that because they now think this is a perfect way for them to make a million. So this is this is fiat, right? This is what fiat does to people. So on a Bitcoin standard, you know, this is my belief my in my opinion i don't think that would be happening i mean we have value for value at the moment in the bitcoin world with the podcast you know you guys can release this on fountain i can listen to it and i can stream you some sats whilst i'm listening to it to express my value um to to express my gratitude for for the time that you guys are putting up to put these episodes together that that's and then i can just stop that or I can re-listen, or I can boost, I can send in a few thousand sats, whatever. Um, But it's not like I'm controlling you to do things. There's something really dark about that. And I just don't think that would happen. I don't think anybody would use, would abuse a medium of exchange in that manner, if that medium of exchange was sound.
2: I think all of that behaviour goes away. Sorry, I have my uh, mic on uh, mute as well. Yeah, I I, I agree with the incentives um, and the value for value because by having the value for value uh, platform on on Fountain and on our videos as well, we've got a QR code at the bottom of our videos. So you can just sort of give us a tip and stuff like that on on YouTube. So, um, and, and what that does help with is feedback and Gives us an idea of the type of quality of work that we're putting out there for our listeners, and and we take that on board uh, to sort of try and do better and and try to sort of um, bring more value into the space. But at the moment, it's just on on these new on this new trend trend is NPC and all this sort of stuff all you're doing really is just throwing money at someone just for entertainment purposes and there's no real value in that out, at all and we it, that can become a deep and dark place uh, where people are just sort of um trying to you know tell people what to do online and that can go into all sorts of weird and wonderful things um but Thank you for your time here, Daniel. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion with you. We've been waiting to get you on for a while now and we're coming up to time. Um, but before we finish, is there anything that you wanted to mention that we haven't asked you? And um, also, is there anything that you can recommend Bitcoiners uh, in terms of articles or content that they should consume that maybe that you found valuable as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, first of all, thank you for what you guys are doing. You know, there's there's not enough Bitcoin podcasts in the world many people would argue and say oh i'm drowning in content It's like well think of the others that have yet to discover bitcoin and think of the others that haven't even peered into the rabbit hole we've got to be ready with as much content as we possibly can and you know you guys stepping up and taking a time out of your day to create content and put it out there consistently um yeah, you know thank you and thank you for bringing me on and, and having this discussion uh if people want to learn a little bit about what uh, we've been talking about they can find me on twitter uh at Sov for store of value um choose life is the name of the book please head to consensus network to find that don't go to amazon go to um consensus network and if you are if you're there and um you're interested in buying the book look around at their other offerings they've got lots of really good bitcoin books and they've got them in many different languages, you know, even if you've read it, buy one for your friend or buy one for your friend in that language that they've perhaps not been um, able to get it in before. And if you use the code bitten, you'll get 10% discount. And if you pay via the Lightning Network, you get another 10% discount. So this is a really cheap way to, to get some gifts going um, and to help people into the rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, check out the podcast, Once Bitten. And... um Come up and say hi if you if you anybody's at the conferences over the next uh, six months or so. Looking forward to uh, to meeting people in real life. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniel, for your time and uh, au revoir. Merci. Au revoir.